This is episode one of the Young Money podcast. I'm Cameron Ho, and I work at Fidelity International in London on the graduate training program. Just a bit about us to start, Fidelity is one of the world's largest fund management firms. What that means is we invest over $250 billion in stocks and bonds and property to help everyone from individuals to governments ultimately just grow their savings and prepare for retirement. So on that subject of retirement, now, for people in their teens or in their 20s like myself, retirement is 30 to 50 years away, and that's a really, really long time. But the financial decisions, I think, that we make now will have a huge impact on the way in which we live our lives, both throughout our careers and as we move into retirement. Because let's think about it for a minute. Between the ages of 18 and 40, most of us make probably the biggest decisions of our lives. You know, we leave school, we pursue higher education, we enter the workforce and start families, sometimes multiple times. And so for a generation that's expected to live into our hundreds, if we're lucky, what happens in the first 40 years of our life has an outsized effect on what happens and how we live the next 60 years of our lives. What we want to do with this podcast series is really tease out the ideas which young people can use to navigate life's most important financial decisions. We're going to discuss current events and interview guests and look not only for expert opinions backed by data, but also just get the insights of people who have important stories and experiences to share. Today, we're going to start chronologically and look at higher education. Is it worth the cost? Do you need to study a STEM subject, STEM being science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, in order to have the best shot at a lucrative career? Are you doomed to become a barista if you study the humanities? And how can you have a successful career without going to university at all? So I'm really looking forward to discussing these issues in today's episode, and I'm joined today in the studio by our special guests, Daniel Ryan, Barney Rowe, and Tim Pullum. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Okay, so on this podcast series, we're going to look at the biggest financial decisions that young people have to make as they grow older. And so I think the natural point to start that discussion is on the subject of leaving school. What do you do? Uh, do you go to university or get some form of higher education? Or do you go straight to work? And those are some of the issues that I've been thinking about a lot. I thought about those a lot when I left school myself. And I, I still think about them occasionally, uh, having left university one or two years ago. Going to university, I think we can all agree, costs money. Whether or not it ex is expensive depends on how you value the, the benefits that your education will bring you th through your working life. But also, if you do go to university, there's this decision of whether you become a poet or a quant. Do you want to study something <laughs> in the humanities, which might be what you're more interested in? Do you go into the fine arts? Or do you go into the STEM subjects, being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics? Because those are what some governments will tell you are more important. Those are what your parents might tell you gives you a better chance of earning a higher income through your working life. But before we get on to the discussion, let me introduce our special guests. So Barney Rowe completed his PhD in astrophysics at the University of Edinburgh. He then worked as an observational cosmologist at three different institutions, uh, including the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And, but now he is the senior data scientist at Fidelity International. And I believe, if that's correct, that's helping to apply insights from behavioral economics to help people make better decisions. That's right, yeah, okay. absolutely. Maybe you can just tell me what you do today. A lot of it is data-focused, a lot of it's statistics-focused trying to work out what we can learn from novel data sets, things that we're not currently using at the moment, 
to actually improve our investment decision making, right. but also put that in a human context to try and work with the grain of the way people actually think and behave mm -hmm. and provide support to that where necessary using technology. Now, second guest Daniel Ryan recently finished his doctoral thesis in theology at Cambridge, focusing on ancient monetary systems. And I believe you told me a few weeks ago, basically, it was ancient Roman coins. Is that right? Uh, sort of. It's um, ancient okay. Jewish coins. Ancient so, Jewish coins, okay. So it was in theology, and it looked at political systems and political organization and religion in the ancient world. So quite a difference from what I do now and right. what we do here at Fidelity. Okay, so now you're on the investment graduate scheme in a research yeah. role, is that right? Yeah, it is. So I'm going through a two-year rotation program, and the idea is that you see lots of different teams within the multi-asset group here. Right. So at the moment, I'm working with the global economics team. We put together models, we take views on broad macro moves, we look at countries, we look at data yeah. on a top-down level. And last but not least, Tim Pullum. He launched his career straight after finishing school, joining the fast-track scheme for A-level leavers at NatWest. But then he saw his friends earning more money in sales, so he moved to a role in, in that field. But then after a while, he left the bank completely, moved to Dubai, where he ran a motorsport business for two years. After that, he decided to come back to the UK, move into the financial sector by taking his financial advising exams, and then worked at Barclays, HSBC, and joined Fidelity six years ago as head of wealth relationship management. So, Tim, could you tell me a bit about your role? Yeah, so uh, the head of wealth relationship management, my team look after the wealthiest investors who use our personal investing platform and business to run their own investments, so be that pensions, ISAs, general investment accounts on a, an execution-only basis, so they're fundamentally making the end decisions, but with the help of our our internal research and uh, my team's you know, research capabilities to help them make better decisions. So I think the first part of the episode will discuss you know, the cost of going to university. If you're a UK national going to an English or a Welsh university, you're going to pay tuition fees of probably £9,000 per year for three or four years, depending on how long your degree is. And add on top of that the cost of accommodation, food, housing, textbooks. A recent report, you know, everyone has an opinion on this, but the Intergenerational Foundation think tank estimated that student debt in the UK is set to increase to over £40,000 per person across the average student in the coming years. And a second component of the, the debate about the corporate cost of university is what we would like to think of as opportunity cost. Firstly, if you go to university, there's that opportunity cost of not working for the three or four years while you're studying. But also, if you don't go to university, what economic benefits in terms of a higher paying job do you forego by joining the workforce immediately without getting that advanced education? So the Academic General Science, which is quite well respected, argued in 2014 that the true cost of a university degree in the United States at least is negative 500,000 US dollars. So if you don't go to university, it's going to cost you $500,000 over your lifetime compared to your peers who did go. So with that in mind, uh, Tim, how did you make the decision not to attend university and did cost play a lot of, into it? Absolutely cost play. I, I think I was never one of those people that had an absolute, you know, 100% I am going to university. I, you know, I went to a grammar school, um, a lot, you know, majority of my friends went and I, I did think about it but yeah, my parents weren't wealthy enough to kind of put me through it, so I, cost was absolutely, you know, my main driver for for not for not going. Um, you know, I've had lots of kind of you know, jobs when I was at school that kind of paid for my my living, and I, and I thought that coming out, you know, three four years down the line of having a degree, I would have had significant debt, and I just 
took the decision to, you know, go down, you know, the working route because of that reason. And Dan, so you, what made you go to for a PhD in theology? Did you always want to be an academic? I guess that was part of it. I guess part of it was liking being a student as well. Quite a nice life. <laughs> um, it was also cheaper when I started. Um, I just about missed the increase in fees. Right. So um, that was perhaps one helpful consideration. Um, as well for postgrad study, which is different from undergrad study, right. um, I actually got full pay from the government to do that, okay. um, which I was really lucky to get. So um, I guess I was lucky in part with some financial support um, from university, from the government, and just by luck of when I was born, not having to pay the yeah. bigger fees. Um, I guess from the point of view of fees, um, there's two different sides to it. There's the bit that goes to pay your tuition mm -hmm. and being covered by the government that then comes out of your pay now when I've started to work. Right. It's a bit like a tax okay. and they just take a little bit out right. like your taxes, your national insurance yeah. before you even see the money in your mm -hmm. bank account. Um, the hard bit then is making up the difference between what they give you to live on mm -hmm. and paying your rent, right. paying for your food. Right. Um, and that's when you start to need to look at jobs on the side. So in effect, even even though there, it's it's quite difficult to pay pay the cost of uh, other things such as food. There is sort of government support for students in the UK. Yeah, with the loans. Yeah, the, the, there is. It's just yeah. trying to make up the difference between right. what they give you and what you need to spend. Right. Um, lots of the time, student accommodation isn't the cheapest. Right. Yeah. At the same time, you do have to live on something. Got to be able to eat. Yeah. So um, looking for what support is out there is actually really key. And in picking universities, that's definitely um, something to look at, right. see what support they've got. Now, picking universities, I think t we know that tuition fees in the UK for undergraduate degrees are, are consistent across all the institutions. But Barney, you spent some time working in the United States at some of their research universities. And I think a lot of those US universities, private ones in particular, they have this reputation for being uh, much larger than those in the UK, having huge endowments of several billion dollars, but also tuition fees to match it. Do you think, in your experience, a more expensive education, such as the one you might get in the US, leads to a better education? I think it would be very difficult to prove that that was the case. Okay. I think that a lot of the cost of education is driven by sort of supply and demand. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to go to Harvard, mm -hmm. and so they can charge a lot of money for people who want to go there. Right. On the flip side, though, they have large endowments and they also make a lot of support available. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a lot more support available in the US system. Right. But then you have to be eligible for it, and not everybody right. is. Okay. I think it'd be very difficult to quantify the quality of the outcome by, sure. the, by the quality of the institution, okay. certainly in terms of cost. I mean, you know, there are other factors, reputation, the quality of the teaching staff, but mm -hmm. there are some fantastic state universities, for example, California state system. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a California resident, the fees you pay are comparable to the fees you pay in the UK, right. or, or less. Okay. Um, and they're, you know, Berkeley, UCLA, some of the best uh, universities in the world. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's difficult to make that point. Do you, do you think, in effect, by a better network, by going to these... Because you look at the alumni of a lot of these places, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, etc., and, and does that give you access to a, a richer, deeper quality of person, should we say? I think that's an astute point, yeah. I think that that is clearly what, what is the cause of some of that demand for those places, along with also just prestige. 
you know, clearly if you, there's a uh, perception that certain universities on your sort of CV will, will, you know, will, will get you places that other places won't. And, and the network, I think that's the reason why a lot of parents would pay extra to, you know, to, for a Harvard as opposed to somewhere else. Yeah, so, so Tim, did you ever find that you were missing maybe the network of connections in the business world not having gone to university? I, th I think, you know, I'm probably you know, old, older than Dan and Barney, so I, I think I was probably more of the slightly old school where you could probably maybe leverage friends' parents or, and, and things like that, but I, I think I probably would have been in the position I'm in now quicker had I yeah. gone to university because I've, you know, I've made some rash decisions because you've had to be a little bit more streetwise for want of a better phrase so yeah. you know those sliding door moments of I've made a couple of good ones and a couple of bad ones but in the industry I'm I'm you know we find ourselves in now I think that you would probably progress quicker through um, being a graduate and on a graduate scheme like the one Fidelity offers mm -hmm. because of the you know the broad breadth and and opportunities to network and um, accountability that you're given you know, early on in your in your career. Right. So, do you think you, you mentioned old school and, and the <laughs> roots of connecting with friends, parents? Yeah. Are those roots into industries closed because of just culture and regulation? No, I, I think they will always be there. But I, I think the the key underlying message there really is the ability for anybody to network mm -hmm. and don't burn bridges and yeah. you know, you know, keeping opportunities open because you'll never know where. where you may need an opportunity or help somewhere. Hence right. my question to Barney there on, okay. do, you know, by going to a, you yeah. know, an Ivy League um, institution, does that help you with a better network? Okay, and also maybe Barney and Dan, how has your network from university helped you in, in the career? I've got to say my friends are pretty useless. I think the, probably the main benefit is, um, like Tim said, grad schemes, um, particularly for someone like me coming from humanities, art subject, Getting into a new area, yeah. um, I could really not think of many better opportunities than a grad scheme mm -hmm. to start off. Because they don't assume you know anything. Okay. They give you lots of training, lots mm -hmm. of support, career counsellors for two years, and they let you see different aspects of the business, mm -hmm. and then you start as a real full-fledged yeah. member at the end of that two years. So um, that's really been the main, the main benefit, I think, from my point of view. Just being able to break into a new area without any prior experience. Grad scheme is one of those few times in life when you get to do that. Right. And Barney, how about you? And did it help with particularly that transition from uh, academia to finance? Well, that was a very big transition for me because okay. uh, I'd worked for seven years as a postdoc after my PhD. So it was a big moment, and I, you know, talk about opportunity cost, like, uh, you know, I'd wasted, <laughs> I'd spent a lot of my time uh, uh, doing something totally different, and it was a late, later career switch. Okay. But uh, you enjoyed it? I definitely enjoyed it, and I don't regret anything, really. Okay. But the scheme that they had here at Fidelity, which was, you know, very new at the time, which was for people directly coming from sort of academia and trying to train them on the sort of the quant side, yeah. was fantastic for me, because I was, it was, you know, again, they... Uh, Assumed I knew no finance. They, you know, forced me straight into the CFA exams, mm -hmm. get me up to speed on the finance as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. and uh, and it was a you know a, a very you know a steep learning curve, but a good way to do it. Right. Um, the question about has my network been useful to me from university? Um, not yet, but I'm st I still live in hope. Okay. Presumably, uh, you know, the network of people you know at university becomes more useful as they become older, more senior, more connected themselves. Right. And so I think, you know, um, uh, it's a slow burner, that one. Mm -hmm. and, and the experience of maybe 
going back to the finance side, taking out a student loan, was that process quite difficult? I mean, it's probably changed in just the past couple of years. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, you have to keep registering every year if it's right. the same as when I did it. Yeah. But you've got to then chase them up if payments go missing or something. But problems aside, once you've got once you've got the loan, they're very good at taking the money back again afterwards. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about making any payments. You don't have to worry about reporting it as a as a debt to anyone. Okay. It sort of disappears a bit like having a mobile phone bill, right? Okay. Like on a certain day a month. Right. Or when you get your paycheck, it okay. just disappears out of your account. You never actually see it. So it doesn't even appear or disappear out of your account. It just goes off your paycheck and you don't have to think about it after it's happened. Yeah, and I, I, I see the, the people that work in my team, you see them you know, talking constantly about, um, you know, oh, I'm, I've nearly paid my student loan off mm-hmm. and, and it becomes almost a milestone in their life that okay. the, you know, if the student loan's paid off, then is it the house deposit? Or, you know, and going back to, to, to my day when interest rates were way higher I saw friends of mine with you know, you know who are lucky enough to come from wealthy backgrounds yeah. they would still take the student loan but not spend it mm-hmm. they would then they used it as an investment vehicle oh, you know because because it was cheap cheap debt then compared to you know what interest rates are right. you know so maybe now not a strategy that people today would use because of mm-hmm. you know again where interest rates are so and they actually leveraged that invested it and then it helped them as their house deposit so okay. again clearly economic cycles and, and, and different situations but that's it's, it's quite a an interesting way of looking at things depending on you know, your individual circumstances so you wouldn't say it was a huge burden psychologically because some reports they'll say that you know a lot of graduates are feeling you know it weighs on them the, the burden of the debt and affects their maybe cognitive performance their their performance at work it could be it, it could be more of an issue now now that yeah. it's so much larger. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I left with about debts of about fifteen thousand, yeah. which is you know clearly about a third of the sort of forty thousand plus that we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Right. Um, for me, I was you know I wanted to do it. It was part of a life experience I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed my subjects. And I wanted to take them further, yeah. and so it was just kind of pure selfishness and almost thinking, well, I'll I'll pay that later I'll deal with that when the time comes that's that is significantly easier to say when it's 15,000 possibly than when it's 45,000 but I think uh, um, you know I think uh, uh, you should uh, uh, I'd encourage people to to try and think in a sort of a you know a balanced way about it and not be afraid of either of the options because Mm. um, clearly you can uh, you know be highly successful and have a fantastic career and life Right. down either route. Last question on this topic is, does university teach you the skills needed to adapt to a really uh, changing world? For example, if, you, if your jobs were, or all of our jobs were eliminated, could we move to a different industry? And would our university degree help us make a shift? So I think the big difference from school is, at school, you get taught something, and then you do a bit of homework, and it gets marked. But you go to university, and they'll give you a question, then you've got to go and teach yourself. And then you write an essay and it gets marked. So in that sense, yeah, the, 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 it's more like real life in that there aren't any classroom lessons in real life. Right. People don't teach you stuff. You have to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have to get through. You have to talk to people, read stuff. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, you do get out what you put in. So if you want to be adaptable, if you want to learn more skills, then there will be opportunities there at university, but they're not going to come running at you. And okay. so you've got to go and join those societies go to some sort of classes or lectures at a different faculty, start reading news, and then you can build up those skills yourself. It really is a DIY sort of opportunity. 
um, which for me was the big difference from being at school. Okay. And I think that actually that's especially someone like Fidelity and in in my working life, you get in, you get out what you put in. Therefore, building that network that we talked about earlier is, yeah, having knowing where you need to go to get things done. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's very, very easy to pe- you know, people come in, work for a big organisation, do nine to five, work there for 20 years in the same job. Mm-hmm. But if they're happy to just plough that same furrow, yeah. you know, whereas I think if you're, if you're ambitious, inquisitive, etc., you, know, you have the opportunity, but a lot of the time you have to go and find it yourself and, and right. be that inquisitive nature and, and make mistakes. And mm-hmm. Because otherwise it's, do you get bored, do you get stayed do you get you know stale it's um mm-hmm. again it's just you know pushing because opportunities will always come to good people if you're prepared to put the work in i would say that you don't necessarily need to go to university to mm-hmm. to, to 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 learn that uh, that drive that that sort of self-driven sort of mm-hmm. approach to to change and to seeking things out right but very often you will see that the people who do well at university mm-hmm. are people who have those abilities right. because you do have a lot less support okay. and you are encouraged to do things more for yourself. So mm-hmm. in a way, it is a way of sort of filtering and encouraging that. Right. And that is one useful byproduct of it, yeah. that sort of uh, that ability to, to self-teach and to adapt. Yeah. But it's certainly not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the only way you can pick up those skills. And there are people who go to university and that's, you know, and, and don't really take that away from it. Sure. So, you know, it's, da- it's down to the individual ultimate. Yeah, it's down to the person. So let's move on and, and talk a- about the, the, the issue of studying STEM versus humanities or other subjects. Assuming you do go to university, do you become a poet or a quant? And are you better off studying these, these technical subjects that might land you a higher paying or more sustainable job? So a lot of academic studies will argue that university education will increase your earning power. Uh, but beneath that are the results show a pretty, pretty big spread of graduate career success. And so there's a study by statisticians at the New York Federal Reserve, and they found that three quarters of graduates earn more than the average worker who does not have a university degree. On the face of it, that sounds pretty encouraging because three in four university graduates are doing better. But that also means that one in four is worse off having gone to university. And maybe one possible explanation for that is the disparity in the... Um, the jobs available and the salaries available to graduates with different academic backgrounds. So, do you think that do you think that technical subjects will increase your earning power, and that that's the reason why um, three quarters of these graduates are succeeding? It's because they do have that technical training that gives them access to higher-paying jobs. Maybe starting with Tim. I think if you're in a specialist industry, absolutely. You know, clearly, if you need to be an accountant, you need to have, you know, have studied you know, tax exams, etc. However, on a fidelity side of things, we absolutely, you know, investment's all about diversification, and I think we're great, you know, Dan's humanities, you know, uh, Barney's, you come from academia. The fact that we're able to then mould all those different skills yeah. internally, that we can all then learn from each other. And make much much better investment decisions for ourselves and therefore our, our clients, which is the key thing. That that to me, I think, I think subjects are relevant in our world. The person, the aptitude, all of those things making them a good fit for fidelity is the, is the key thing. And I, and I think good organisations and successful organisations out there will recognise the fact that 
the, the, you know, the person has all the right traits to, to do the hard work and they're clearly clever, etc., or have something about them that um, will allow them to add value to the company. You know, look, again, I'm not a university graduate, um, but I'm in a sales and relationship role, so my EQ is probably much better than my IQ because I can relate to people and therefore engender confidence in them right. to trust... Yeah, they come to Fidelity because they trust Fidelity, but therefore they've also got to then trust the people that they're dealing with to to make sure that they're parting with their and investing their you know their their like kind of life savings with, you know through us. Right. So a kind of long answer, but yeah, you know, I hope it kind of good people again will always be successful if they're prepared to you know kind of work hard. And on the on the note of hard work, Dan, so you you're working in quite a technical role, but your background is in theology. Are you studying for? How how are you increasing your technical knowledge? And what has that experience been like? Yeah, sure. I mean, it would be a lie to say that having not studied economics or maths um, at all, then you've got to put in some extra hours to get some stuff done. And so if you do want to make a leap into a different area, one that you're not planning on studying after you graduate from university, then yeah, you've got to do some extra bits. So at the moment, like Barney mentioned, Fidelity is putting me through the CFA exam. And that is quite a bit of work. Um, I look back at my notes from summer when I started to learn that and I was teaching yeah. myself how to make percentages and you know so many basic stuff which yeah. I probably learned at school but I've forgotten right. since then um, so yeah if you're prepared to put some time in you can definitely make a career leap after mm -hmm. university from humanities yeah. to a math sort of quant technical role um, mm -hmm. as long as you're going to be you know prepared to put in some free time but hopefully in the long run, right, it means I've seen two different areas. I mean, right. it means I've mm -hmm. done a bit of theology and then I've done a bit of maths. Right. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's kind of exciting. It's different anyway. It would be really interesting. Well, I think that's a really important point. I think that the thing that's very useful about having a, you know, a STEM sort of background and there is, is, is sort of getting those early year jobs because you have some skills that allow you to, you know, that, that you know, you, you, you fit the profile on paper, you can, you know, you, maybe you can do some programming, you can think mathematically, you know, you're a good fit for some of these jobs and you ha are technically able. But then longer term, like the difference between a successful person and, and someone who maybe just stays doing that job for a long time, or someone who, someone who progresses and, and does a lot more, is a balance and is having um, an, a range of skills. Um, people skills, um, being able to think qualitatively, being able to think critically, not necessarily in purely a quantitative way, but being able to understand the logical structure of a situation and to be able to think in a sort of a critical way in, in actually the way that you're trained to do better, I think, in the arts than you are in the sciences. And so having those, that mix of skills is the difference, I think, between if you look at people when they're 40 and 50 years old than if you look at people when they're 25 years old. Mm. And so I think that, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the investment industry, and I think actually a lot of human endeavour is a mix of art and science. And so in the long term, that's the, uh, uh, that's the, that's the, the path to being uh, um, sort of successful and also being, having fun because you keep learning the whole time. But okay, maybe a controversial question, but which is harder to learn so if should you should you study something technical at university where you have the lectures and everything and then read shakespeare at night before bed or should you study the humanities and then study calculus at night before bed what is there is there any definitive answer to that i probably say it depends on the person and because okay. of that you've got to make your own decision yeah um 
I can't really think of much worse than having to go to university and study maths for three years. Okay. I think I'd have probably left and mm -hmm. cried. But <laughs> I really enjoyed studying theology. I kind of enjoyed reading. Mm -hmm. um, broad subjects like the humanities that touched on different areas, they were right. interesting to me. And that's why I made that decision. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say, have a think about what you want to spend three years doing. Because if you don't enjoy it, you're going to have a really tough time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can pick up extra skills as you go. But until you start doing a job, you don't actually know what those skills are going to be. Right. So I wouldn't worry too much about trying to front load loads of useful stuff for a job that you don't know you're going to have. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because, you know, I, I think a lot of people also take a job that they don't enjoy. Because, you know, and I think that's the worst thing you can do because you're letting the company down you're working for. But more importantly, you're letting yourself down because you're probably giving... 50% or less and, th and, and therefore it will become obvious to people working around you that you're not enjoying it and does that therefore restrict your ability to move through an organisation and therefore is your only exit out mm -hmm. you know so it's it's yes look, everybody's got to you know earn a living and, and, and uh, provide for themselves but I couldn't agree more on the fact that do something at university that you're going to enjoy because otherwise you're won't put the full effort in there and therefore will you then get the degree the level of degree yeah. that you would have got if you'd done something you had enjoyed which therefore could shut some doors to grad schemes etc 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 because it seems like the job market is is getting more and more competitive or right? at least that's what the media says right so whereas there might have been 50 jobs in one area uh, for our parents generation that there might be five or, or just a handful so i guess you would need to really just choose what you love doing right so that you have the motivation. I think it's the best competitive advantage you could have mm. is loving what you're doing because that's going you know, to mean that you, are, you, you go the extra mile in lots of different ways because you're, you want to. And if you're com you know, in that competitive environment, then uh, you know, that's going to that's gonna show through not just at, in you as an interview candidate but also in your actual like, um, output. Uh, and... Uh, for me, it was very easy. I loved my degree. I felt very sorry for people who didn't, because there were a lot. And same at school. You know, I think it's a, it's an, if you do find something that you enjoy and want to carry on doing, that's an incredible gift. Mm. Um, and and I would really encourage you to do that because it can take you a lot of interesting places. Um, but you know, for me, the you know, physics is something that it's a quite deep dive subject, and it was very useful having all of that support. And it meant that I could relax by enjoying the arts on the side. Um, uh, but I, uh, you know, if you were to do it uh, the way that Daniel did, that, that was right for him. And so I don't think there is an answer to what's easier. Yeah, everyone has a different story. Yeah. All right, so I think let's just to wrap up today, we've discussed really, really interesting issues. Uh, we started with whether or not it's worth going to university given the cost, or the increasing cost, especially in the UK. And then we w talked a little bit about poets and quants and whether you should study humanities or the sciences. And I think one of the things that we can all take away is that it's really highly individualized. Everyone in this room has come from a really different background, but yet here we are all today working for the same company in financial services. Yeah, my advice would be don't panic too much about the skills. You're going to get at university. Pick something you enjoy. At the same time, you've got to take every opportunity that comes up to get the skills that you do want because they're not going to come running after you. And on the terms of money, yeah, it's definitely it's, it's, it's definitely a problem with the higher fees now, but you do have to separate in your head 
the difference between the money you're going to need to live on that you might be able to earn mm -hmm. doing summer jobs yeah. or through university support from the money which you get from the government for the student loan for the fees that you're going to have to pay right. which uh, comes out a bit like a tax or a phone bill and you don't have to worry about finding the money you lose your job for a little while then they stop taking the money out so there is a bit of a difference so do read up on how these things work because they're not straightforward okay. that would be my advice I would say um, know yourself um, think very carefully uh, uh, about what it is that motivates you um, and, uh, uh, and don't be afraid uh, uh, of, of that or, and don't try and please other people necessarily who might have a certain idea about what you should do now it's very easy to say that I know a lot of people a lot of my friends uh, when they were young and making these decisions didn't know what was interesting didn't know what they liked didn't know what they wanted to work in um, I would say continue to be inquisitive look in areas that you wouldn't expect maybe try and uh, 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 be constantly on the lookout for what, what you could maybe find uh, satisfying as a, as, as, as a job for the future. And if you like interacting with people, look at people-focused jobs. If you like numbers, and then look at that. But keep an open mind. And I, I absolutely re reiterate that. I mean, it's, for me, it's being open to opportunities. You know, I look back at my kind of history, and um, a lot of the things I've done have felt right. And because they feel right, I think you then go into that with a confidence and a and a kind of vigour to, to succeed in it. Clearly, as I've said earlier, you know, you, I've made some wrong decisions, but because I because I was inquisitive, I went down that route, and that taught me, that, you know, the wrong decisions have taught me more than my right decisions. So, again, it's just build that network, stay open-minded to all those opportunities that are in front of you, because you know, good people will succeed, and opportunities will come your way. Thank you, everyone. To our listeners, thank you for listening. This is Fidelity International's Young Money Podcast. I'm Cameron Ho, and I'm honored to have been joined today in the studio by our special guests, Tim Pullum, Barney Rowe, and Daniel Ryan. Thank you very much again for coming. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about Fidelity, visit www.fidelity.co.uk. Thank you, and bye for now. This information does not constitute a personal recommendation and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest.